Thanks for listening to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of Elder Scrolls Legends. If you want to support Legends Cast, you can always leave us a rating and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts, or you can visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash legendscast. Be sure to come back next week and make sure that you check out our sponsor, both Inked Gaming and Team Rankstar at teamrankstar.com. Hello and welcome to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of the Elder Scrolls Legends. My name is Mark Lutz and I'm one of your hosts and I'm doing a quick solo episode. Uh, episode 16.5. It's the first half episode that we've done, although I've done half episodes in the past, um, kind of between full shows. And the reason I'm doing this half episode is because um, back on episode 15, I did a quick solo show after my daughter Aria was born and we began a crafting guide um, looking at specific legendaries and epics that I think are important for crafting um, for the three major archetypes in the game, that being aggro, mid-range, and control. Um, then last episode, episode 16, I got on with Dead Broke Nerd. We announced that he's coming on the show. Jaws of Oblivion got announced. The, the release date for that is right around the corner, and a lot of other stuff uh, that we were just announcing a, a full partnership with um, Team Rankstar. Uh, Twitter's uh, up and running now. Um, all of those different things, and I'll announce a couple of those things and remind you of them towards the end of the show. What I realized is the next couple of episodes that we record together, um, episodes number 17, 18, and probably 19 are going to be mostly focused on the Jaws of Oblivion and a couple of guests that we want to get on the show um, to talk about uh, the cards. And when a new expansion comes out, sometimes that completely changes a crafting guide. So I wanted to make sure that I got the crafting guide out, knowing that me and Deadbroke Nerd uh, you know, are not going to have a lot of time to actually have a discussion about that. I figured I would record a brief episode um, just going through uh, the other remaining cards that I was you know, suggesting people would craft in both the epic and the legendary categories, um, depending on kind of what archetype that you want to play. Um, so without further ado, I think we can just jump into the crafting guide and I can go over some of the cards that I think are to be important. Now, in episode number uh, 15, we did review both red and blue for aggro, midrange, and control, both epics and legendaries. I'm trying to give you kind of like three for each, and there's some crossover sometimes. Um, but if you missed it, go back and listen to episode 15. I think the, the second half of the episode, or maybe the last third of the episode, um, is focused specifically around a crafting guide for the colors red and blue. So let's jump in looking at the next color, which is yellow. And so yellow is an interesting color because um, it can do a lot of different things, but it, it doesn't do all of those things best, in my opinion. So it can do a lot of different things, doesn't necessarily do all of those things best. So the things that yellow does really well is wide, aggressive boards. It doesn't necessarily stack one creature or put out really high attack creatures, um, but it does make really wide, really aggressive boards very easily. The other thing that yellow does very well is point-and-click removal. This isn't necessarily removing uh, lots of things at once, um, but one-for-one one removal, sort of controlling the board by taking out one threat at a time. 
Yellow does that very, very well. So knowing that, we're going to be looking at the cards that you should craft, specifically legendaries starting in aggro. So aggro has similar legendaries to what you would be crafting if you were crafting mid-range. Um, and the first one is Dawnbreaker. Now Dawnbreaker is a 4-mana four 4-4 four, four item. Um, and so uh, Dawnbreaker specifically reads, I believe whenever you slay an undead, um, you instead of uh, just killing it and putting it to the graveyard, you take that undead and um, you remove it from the game. So uh, very similar to what if some of other yellows cards do in terms of it's not just going to put it to the graveyard, it's going to completely get rid of it. But only if the thing that you're attacking is and that you slay is specifically an undead. So why this card? Well, really it's because it's a plus four, plus four item in yellow. A yellow doesn't have a lot of burst, and so usually you're combining yellow, oftentimes with blue or even with red, in order to become aggressive and burst towards the end of a game. Um, but this is one of the very few burst cards that yellow has, which is why it's important for aggro um, and taking back the board. The other card that I have in here is the Black Dragon. Now, the Black Dragon you can't actually craft, so it's a bit cheating here, but there's not a lot of really good yellow legendaries for aggro. Yellow relies very heavily upon its... Uh, it's common and rare cards, not so much on its epic and its legendary cards. But the Black Dragon is a 4-mana 5-5 five five that's immune to lethal that does something very similar. Whenever it attacks a creature and slays it, it's not just going to destroy that creature and put it in the graveyard, but it's going to put all copies of that creature in the opponent's deck into the graveyard as well. So, for example, if you attack a Barrow Stalker and they have two more Barrow Stalkers in their deck, you're not just going to kill that Barrow Stalker and put it in the graveyard, but you're going to remove the two Barrow Stalkers from their deck and put them into the graveyard as well. Um, it's also just a heavily statted minion. It's statted a lot like what a purple creature would be because it's overstatted for its cost, plus it has two positive abilities in, believe it or not, the um, the resistance or the immunity to the lethal is more relevant than you might think. This card comes out in the Dark Brotherhood uh, set, though, um, so you're going to have to get that from the Dark Brotherhood. You can't craft that card. In, you know, there's some stuff that I'm not sure about the game. There, there's also the possibility you can craft it, but I'm like 90% sure that you cannot craft that card. The other one is going to be another yellow uh, legendary card, and this is going to be Varen. Uh, and I'm not even going to try, try to pronounce his last name. This is a four mana, four six Imperial that reads um, <clears throat> When one of your runes is destroyed, you gain five health instead of drawing a card. You gain five health instead of drawing a card. Um, why this card specifically? Well, it's a 4-mana four 4-6, four so it's another yellow card that's pretty heavily statted, and yellow does have a hard time going tall. So that's important. If you're playing against a control deck, they're probably not going to be damaging your face. So they're not breaking your runes and giving you cards anyway, so this is a 4-mana four 4-6. Four if you're playing a mirror match or you're playing against another aggro deck, this card potentially prolongs your game to the point that you can win because it's ostensibly doubling your health if your opponent can't silence it or get rid of it. So it's a very heavy target for removal if your opponent is playing aggro, and it's difficult to remove if your opponent is playing mid-range or control. This card is pretty polarizing, I think, in most setups, but I do think that this is a very good legendary if you're playing aggro token style yellow decks specifically. And notice that all three of these cards, um, the Black Dragon, uh, Varen, and Dawnbreaker are, are all four cost yellow um, unique legendaries. So if you craft all three of these, you've pretty much got all the legendaries, in my opinion, that you're going to need um, that come from from yellow if you're going to be playing aggro. Um, if you're going to be playing yellow mid-range, 
I'm actually suggesting the same exact three cards. Once again, remember, yellow is good at going wide. It's not good at bursting. And um, mid-range yellow typically wants to hold on to the board. And all three of these cards help prolong your life. They're overstatted. Mid-range likes overstatted minions. Getting them on the board as early as they can. And they help you maintain and keep the board. Honestly, there's not a ton of really good yellow legendaries right now. Um, I guess there are maybe a few that you could consider. Descendant of Akatosh, a one-mana, one-one with Pilfer, plus one, plus one, and gate a random keyword. But honestly, that card's very easy to remove, which makes it not very good for aggro or for mid-range, who both want to play for the board. Um, you could say that Thaddy on the Duke of Mania, which we're going to talk about in a moment, is a pretty good card for mid-range, but once again, I think it's still very much stronger in control. Um, so I'm going to recommend the same three cards. That's Dawnbreaker, Varen, and the Black Dragon. I think there's other cards that you could play in mid-range, but I think those are probably the most important cards, even for your mid-range deck. Once again, four mana, you're getting into that mid-range area. Control. Um, and so let's look at the legendaries for control, because that, that completely changes everything. The first one is also a cheat, because it comes from a story, The Isles of Madness, and that's Thadia and the Duke of Mania. That's a six-mana, six-seven creature. It says summon, um, this lane becomes Mania. And what Mania is, at the beginning of each player's turn, if that player has the creature in this lane with the most toughness, um, that's you know the highest number in its life total, they're going to draw an additional card. Why is this really important? Because generally yellow control can point blank remove a lot of stuff. Um, it's going to get rid of a lot of the big beefy creatures. This is a relatively big beefy creature and double drawing is insanely strong. And you have to be really careful when you play this card because if it backfires, you lose the game. Um, but if it ends up working out in your favor, it just solidifies a win. Some people would say that this card isn't important, but I think statistically in control games that this card is is played, um, it's it's the ones that yellow typically wins and so the, the more often this is played the more often you're going to win the other yellow legendary that i'm going to suggest and this is sort of staying away from i don't know some of the, the the cards that are like a little bit more niche right because you could play vivek um uh, which is the card that you know prevents you from losing the game you could say ebonheart oracle which is of course the card um that doubles the amount of health that you get from Drain. You could even potentially say right now Undying Dragon is an important craft, but that's probably if you're playing Dragon Synergies. So the next card that I'm going to suggest for Yellow Control, if you're not playing, looking at Synergies specifically, is going to be Dawn's Wrath. And I'm suggesting that you craft two of these cards. Dawn's Wrath, I'm suggesting you craft two of them. Dawn's Wrath is an eight mana action that reads destroy all creatures in a lane. Destroy all creatures in a lane. So you're going to be able to clear an entire lane without question, beyond wards, beyond damage thresholds, beyond everything. Just destroy everything in all creatures in a lane. Um, this card is really important for control games. I think that two of them is probably almost always enough. Rarely do you ever run three Dawn's Wraths, because you definitely want to see one every game, but you don't necessarily want to see more than one in a game. Often when you play a Dawn's Wrath, if you need more than one, you've lost. Um, and if you've played one of them, you've typically won, uh, if you were going to win by it. The last one that I'm going to suggest is Mirak Dragonborn. This is an 11 mana 5-5 that reads Summon, Steal an Enemy Creature. This is a staple in control and very, very important to yellow towards the end game. 
when your opponent's putting down an in-game threat that they're hoping you can't remove, you can steal it and, you know, flip that around. Now, there are some cards now in blue, Abner Thorn, which can copy Mirak, um, which are really negative to run up against when you do play Mirak, because then they can just steal the creature back. But I think that Mirak is a really, really powerful legendary. It's a unique legendary, one you definitely want if you're going to be playing yellow control. Now, there's Calgrown Teed, which is the 12-mana 8-9 guard dragon um, that summons Halls of the Colossus. There's also the Queen's Captain, which is an 8-mana 4-4th Wax Wayne. Wax, draw two cards. Wayne, destroy an enemy creature. Destroy a creature. It can actually be one of your own. Those are probably honorable mentions in the yellow control matchups. Once again, along with Undying Dragon and Vavek. But if you're not going directly, like, looking like, okay, when I play yellow control, I want to play a synergy like Dragons or like Exalt, um, I think, personally, that uh, the Thaden, uh, the Duke of Mania, um, then two copies of Dawn's Wrath and Mirak Dragonborn are the best cards that you can craft in the legendaries. So let's take a look at epic cards and let's make a, a trip back down to uh, the epics uh, for aggro. We're going to look at some cards that are going to get seen in a couple of different places, but there's two cards that are really specific and I think that epics probably are really, really key. These are the cards that you want to craft if you want to go aggro yellow. You want to go wide. The first one's going to be Pit Line. This is a 3-mana 5-5. Insanely overstatted, but can only be played if you have a friendly creature in each lane. Yellow likes to go wide, so that makes a lot of sense. If you're going to be playing wide yellow decks, I think Pit Line is a must-have. Some people might say two. I'm going to suggest that you craft three. I think they're that important in the early game. The next yellow epic is going to be Cloudrest Illusionist. This is going to see um, place in all three archetypes. Cloudrest is just incredibly strong. This is a four mana, four three with prophecy. It's a high elf that reads summon, give a creature minus four minus zero this turn. In uh, control matchups, this allows you to slow people down. In aggro matchups, this allows you to trade favorably. Oftentimes, it's whether or not you have an aggro or a, a cloud rest illusionist on turn three with the ring or four that will determine whether or not you win or lose a game. If an opponent is trying to match your board and you're playing yellow aggro and you have a cloud rest illusionist to play, oftentimes that just represents a blowout. You just gain the board to the point where they cannot come back. So Cloudrest Illusionist is a must-have, and you're going to see that come up again and again. The last card is going to be Divine Fervor. This is another three of craft. So I'm saying three pit lines, three Cloudrest, three Divine Fervors. Divine Fervor is a five-mana support that just reads friendly creatures have plus one, plus one. And as you can imagine, if you're filling your deck with 1-1 one, one counters, a couple of Divine Fervors on the board, making all of your cheap 1-1s one, 3-3s, three makes you a lot more potent and significantly more lethal. Divine Fervors a must-have for any sort of a token deck. I say three of them. Once again, you may see some decks who run two. And in fringe scenarios, this actually can see play in some mid-range and control decks, specifically ones that are playing the Necromancer that we're going to talk about in purple, which summons a creature from your grade guard based off of its current power. Well, this can increase that power and let you summon more and more powerful creatures. Divine Fervor, three of them. Let's move on to yellow mid-range. I think it's important just to highlight right from the beginning that Cloudrest Illusionist is a three of for mid-range as well. If you're battling for the board with mid-range, Cloudrest is the best card to battle for the board with. Now from there, there's actually not that many great epics in yellow for mid-range. And so I'm suggesting two cards that you could probably go without. 
In fact, most yellow mid-range you're going to find in another color. So mid-range, well, there's actually not a lot of yellow mid-range. But if you're playing like mid-range Guildsworn right now, for example, most of your mid-range is actually going to come from yellow or red and blue versus coming from yellow. So let's go for the two cards that I'm suggesting. This is the Grey Viper Brigand, 3 mana, 3, 4, epic wood elf that reads summon draw a card for each grave viper brigand in your discard pile this is a really strong card i actually really like this card and it's one of my favorite cards um, from the alliance war set um, i'm suggesting that you craft it because it's pretty reliable card draw when you don't want to be damaging your opponent's face and oftentimes in mid-range and control matchups you don't want to be damaging or pressuring your opponent's face until the time is exactly right and you can maintain control of the board even if your opponent gets a prophecy which is sort of a hard thing for a lot of new players to understand or do when you come from more traditional card games that just aggro wants to go face um, this is a little bit different and this gives you some reliable card draw that maybe some other cards that would require you to hit face don't give you and you actually want these things to die on top of that it's a three mana three four so it's statted well you want it to die it can offer card draw later in the game when you desperately need it so this isn't a dead three drop towards the end of the game it could be a three mana three four draw two cards which is very 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 strong um, at its worst, it's a 3-mana three 3-4 three, that you can fight for board with, which is also very strong. Keep in mind, though, this isn't a summon ability if you've played one before. It's if it's in your graveyard. So if you have a Grave Viper Brigand damaged on the board, make sure you trade that thing in and put it in your graveyard before you play the second one from your hand, or you won't draw anything. The last one that I'm going to suggest is kind of fringe, because just to be honest with you, as I look through the yellow epics, the ones that I have and the ones that I don't have... If you're not playing something that's specifically synergistic, um, there's not many to choose from. I mean, you could go with the Petroleum Commander um, if you were playing something that's going to stack the cards in your deck with a lot of prophecies. You could play the Monastic Champion if you want a big creature with breakthrough. But I'm going to suggest Apex Wolf. Now, Apex Wolf, I think, is uncraftable as well, and that came from the Frostbark card collection, which is a small card collection that I think runs $20 or a couple thousand gold on the sh in the shop. This is a 6-mana 4-4 four, four wolf creature that reads Breakthrough and Drain, and then Last Gasp, draw a creature from your deck and give it Breakthrough and Drain. This is usually seen mostly in decks that are going to run um, things like Unstoppable Rage, but it is card draw as long as it doesn't get silenced. It's drained to help you live through a round or two. I don't love this card, but it's probably the most viable mid-range yellow card that I have the option to pick um, based off of trying to choose things that aren't really specific to a deck or a synergy. Like this card could go in multiple mid-range yellow decks. Although if you're playing mid-range yellow, you might be off better off just putting Divine Fervors in over the Wolves and buffing the cards to fight back for board. Ultimately, I would definitely focus in on those Cloudrest Illusionist first and foremost if you're playing mid-range yellow. Let's talk really quick about yellow control. Once again, there's not a lot of great cards in epics in yellow for control. There's some that aren't bad, but there's none that are incredible. I'm just going to say it. Cloud Resolutionist, Yellow Control, you need it. Craft three of them. In fact, I would venture to say that three Cloud Resolutionist may be the first thing that you should craft in Yellow, period. When I started playing, Yellow was the last thing that I crafted cards in. I actually intentionally dusted cards from Yellow because I was a free-to-play player to be able to craft my cards into other colors. Um, now, I have built up a collection of Yellow cards 
and I do play yellow pretty often. Um, but uh, yellow control is honestly mostly found in its yellow, in its rares, um, and uh, in its uh, commons. That's going to be your targeted removal that is coming from yellow for your control decks. But Cloud Resolutionist is something you need. Craft it, craft it, craft it. The next one I'm going to suggest is something that's synergistic, although if you are a newer player, you might be able to find use for this outside of its specific synergy. That's Ravenous Hunger. This is a 2-mana 4-1 that says Summon gains Drain if there is an enemy creature in this lane. This can battle back from board right in the beginning of the game. It offers you Drain, and if you learned anything from our red talk, then anything red control is going to probably be running Unstoppable Rage. Well, guess what? On turn 10, you can Ravenous Hunger into a full board and then ravenous and then unstoppable rage on ravenous hunger to deal four damage to everything in that lane except for ravenous hunger and everything you deal four damage to as long as it doesn't have word is going to give you four life so this is a really central card to most rage decks that are going to be running the combination of red and yellow that's usually either crusader or guild sworn but specifically usually guild sworn so i'm going to suggest that um, the last one that I'm going to suggest is Grey Viper Brigand again. Um, that's the same one we talked about before, the 3-mana three 3-4 three, that draws a card when you summon it for each other copy of Grey Viper Brigand that's in your graveyard. Once again, this is pretty good card draw and the ability to fight back on board, which is currently very important in the meta. Some honorable mentions from the epic could be Conjurer's Spirit or Dawnstar Healer. If you're going to be playing decks that, you know, are going to synergize well with those two cards specifically. One of my favorite epic cards for control is Morgenthal Nightblade. This is the 4-mana 3-4 that summons a 0-1 target with guard for your opponent and slays drawing a card, and if it's an action, reducing its cost to 0. I love the card, and I fought so hard to make it work, although it's definitely not one of the cards that I would suggest crafting. You could craft a one-off Emulating Blast, but probably if you're going to craft Dawn's Wrath, then there's not much of a point in crafting Emulating Blast. Uh, once again, Petroleum Commander, which summons 6-mana 3-3 that summons to give creatures in your deck plus 1 plus 1. And there was a time when Manticora was a must-have for yellow, but that day is now past since, well, it's gotten nerfed a handful of times. So that's going to wrap it up for our yellow, both aggro, mid-range, and control for epics and legendaries. Let's move on now to green, looking specific at legendaries and specifically for aggro. You're going to see some cards get repeated in green as well as in yellow, um, but there are some cards that are really specific to, to definitely like specific archetypes. So in green for aggro, I'm going to suggest Morgenthal, oh, I messed that up. Morag Thong Tong, Morag Tong Aspirant. That's a really bad pronunciation. Someone who likes lore will definitely have something to say about that. It's a one mana two one, so cheap, easy to get on the board. It's a legendary, but it's not unique, so you can get three of them. That says slay, summon a copy of this card. Well, not a copy, just another Morag Thong Aspirant. Um, and this is the one that says, I want to be like Naru, um, who's another really cool card that doesn't see a lot of play. Why do I suggest this? Because it can battle for board pretty well and maintain your board, and it's a one mana, two ones. It's aggressively statted one drop. This is a really good card in green aggro, especially if you don't have any of the other options from other classes. 
Um, I will say if you're playing Aggro Assassin, this card probably isn't necessary. You have other really good one-drops for blue that you're going to play over this. But if you're playing Aggro, um, even in things like Empire, this card probably finds a place. It's marginally better than some other commons and rare and epic cards that you could get for Aggro, but it is better. Um, uh, okay, let's move on to the next uh, epic or the next legendary card that I am suggesting, and I just need to find him so that I make sure. Oh yeah, uh, Razum Dar. This is a new card. It's a seven mana four three with charge. It's a Khajiit that reads: Draw a copy of the first card your opponent draws each turn. So if you break a rune with this, you draw a copy of that card. Past turn, draw a copy of the card they draw then. If they can't remove it, next turn, break a rune, draw a copy of a card. Usually, though, this is a finisher. Green doesn't have a ton of charge in it, and so if you're not playing Archer, which most people aren't right now, Razumdar does a lot of work in aggro decks towards the end of the game. It's probably one of my favorite cards, if not my favorite card, from the newest set. So Razumdar... Uh, legendary, unique legendary, you can only have one of them. And then last but not least, Tazcad. This is the 9-mana finisher that Green needs in aggro. It's a 9-mana 6-6 with Breakthrough and Charge and Last Gasp to summon a 4-4. And so this card's really cool. That's just a straight statted 4-4 um, because this allows you to end the game a lot of times. Oftentimes, blue-green or blue-red is struggling to do those last couple points of damage and push through to the end. Tazcad can do that for you. Tazcad doesn't see a tremendous amount of play right now. It used to see a lot more, but I still highly recommend having a copy of Tazcad. Once again, it's a unique legendary, and you're going to be glad that you have that one. Let's move on to mid-range. Um, and mid-range is going to look a little bit differently, and there's going to be some cards that are synergistic in mid-range. Um, but I think that Astrid is a safe one. Once again, this is a cheater because you can't craft this one. This is another Dark Brotherhood card. And it's going to be a 3-mana 2-3 Nord that reads lethal, and friendly lethal creatures have slay. Put a completed contract in your hand. Completed Contract is going to be a zero-mana action that gives you an extra mana this turn. So it essentially allows you to sort of ramp temporarily. Unlike Purple, these Completed Contracts are oftentimes a little bit easier to get, but you could get many of them as well. But they're also um, not necessarily... Well, they're definitely not going to raise your mana the following turn. It allows you to kind of burst out bigger boys towards the beginning of the game. Astrid is a really strong card, especially because it has lethal in with things like the silver cro Quicksilver Crossbow and the Archer's Gambit that you're going to get in red. This card's very strong. I think that Astrid really only gets played in a deck that also is running red because you're going to need those abilities to activate this lethal on the turn that you play it so it doesn't get silenced or removed before you have a chance to get use of her. But Astrid's definitely a really strong card. From there, we're going to use two of the same cards that were in our green aggro list because they're the very top end of green aggro, which means they're perfect for mid-range. That's going to be Razum Dar, that 7-mana 4-3 with charge that lets you draw copies of the first card your opponent draws each turn. And that's going to be Tazcad, the Packmaster, the 9-mana 6-6 with charge and breakthrough that last gasps to leave a 4-4 behind. Okay, so you now know that Razumdar and Tazcat are good cards to get. Let's move on to Control. Now, as it turns out, green Control doesn't really rely on legendaries. In fact, doesn't really rely on legendaries at all. I looked through, and there's nothing that I would say that is a solid staple in green, for legendaries, that is. 
There's a couple of cards that I think would be good, and I'm going to highlight them, but really the only one that I think goes in almost every control deck that runs green is um, Ungalum, the Listener. This is a one-mana 1-1 one, one that's going to shuffle three Brotherhood Assassins into your deck. These Brotherhood Assassins are one-mana 3-3s three with lethal that read Summon, draw a card. They're very, very cool and very strong, and they you want them in your deck because they can battle back for board, they have lethal to remove big boys, and they're going to draw you a card, and they're only one mana. So Ungalam the Listener is a definite must-craft if you're going to want to play green control. From there, you could say that Astrid is something that's necessary in green control. Brynjolf, which is a 5-mana 4-5 with Drain, and whenever a friendly creature drains or pilfers, um, you get to get one Magicka for the turn. Um, you could say that Saya Shame, I'm not going to try to pronounce it. It's a 7-mana 6-3 red guard that's immune to wounded enemy creatures, and it can, when it summons, it gives a minus 1, minus 1 to every creature on the board. So if you are playing cards that are really specific to giving out those minus 1, minus 1s, like Curses, Debilitates, uh, Shearpoint Dragons, things like that, um, then this card is going to be something that you're going to want in your deck. From there, Tazcat is also a pretty important card in green control just because it offers you a decent finisher. So depending on what you want to play, you want to play a lot of Curse Package, then you play that 7-mana Red Guard that I mentioned whose name I can't pronounce. You're trying to stay alive? Brynjolf might be a good craft for you. Um, if you just want a good card, period, then you're going to have Ungolem the Listener, and Astrid's a recommendation if you're going to be playing some sort of red control that's, or some sort of green control that's going to be combined with red, whether that's maybe Rage Archer or, uh, I don't even know, maybe like um, Dagoth control, although those decks are typically mid-range. So there's some suggestions. I don't think there's a lot of great legendaries that are must-haves for control, but they're there. Let's move on to Epics. I know we're moving fast now, so hopefully you have a pen and paper and you've been writing things down. Epics are easy for green, and there's a couple of epics that are going to see play across multiple formats. I'm going to say the three best epics that you can have for green in aggro specifically are Deepwood Trapper, a 1-mana one 1-3 one, Dark Elf that, with Guard that reads Shackle uh, Creatures Damaged by Deepwood Trapper. It's an early game creature that allows you to defend some of your bigger, beefier, or more aggressive statted creatures. Um, this sees a lot of play in token decks, but I play it in most any aggro deck that does have aggro in it. I would suggest two to three of them. I'm going to make the suggestion of three. Then um, Mournhold Trader. Mournhold Trader is the best two-drop in the game. It's two-mana Dark Elf. It's a 4-4. Four, four. Last gasp, uh, your opponent summons a 2-1 Mournhold Guardian with Guard. So they're going to summon a 2-1 with Guard on their board when this dies. Um, but it's still aggressively statted. It oftentimes takes multiple things to trade into it or multiple tools to be able to remove it. Mournhold Trader is a very strong card. The most important epic for aggro by far. The last one is Corner Club, Corner Club Gambler. This is a 3-mana Wood Elf with 4 attack, 3 health. That reads, Summon, you must discard a card. At the start of your turn, draw 2 cards, and Corner Club Gambler loses this ability. Um, if you're on the coin and you can get this out on 2, most decks cannot remove it. Uh, most decks aren't running the removal that they need to get rid of Corner Club Gambler on their turn 3. Even if you play it on turn 3, um, it's still pretty strong, provided that your opponent doesn't have a lightning bolt in their hand. This is card draw for green, and green has a lot of card draw, but this is huge refueling power. And guess what? If you don't have any cards in your hand when you play this, you don't have to discard anything. And if it lives, it's just a net draw two cards, which 
the beginning of your next turn, that means you're drawing three cards. Your one normal one plus two from Corner Club. And oftentimes, if you're generating things like uh, Steel Daggers or Curses, Corner Club Gambler can get rid of that card that wasn't going to do much for you and can replace it with two more cards from your deck that you definitely, definitely want. And it's an aggressive stat line. This is a must-have. I suggest three of them, although you're going to see that you actually want less of them later on. Okay, let's move on to mid-range in green and epics. Once again, Mournhold Trader. That's that 2-mana 4-4 four, four that summons a 2-1 for your opponent when it dies. Just because it battles for board so well, it's not going to be a mid-range card that you're necessarily going to want to go face with every turn. It's not necessarily the most aggressive card that you're going to have, but it is going to stave off a lot of your opponent's early game pressure by being able to trade into a couple of different creatures, and then hopefully by that point you're getting down a hand of Dagoth or something else. Um, the next card that I'm going to suggest, once again, is going to be Corner Club. So these are similar cards, and you could probably argue that there's some other good cards that are out there right now that you would want to play if you're playing mid-range, but I'm going to suggest two Corner Clubs because oftentimes, well, mid-range wants to draw. And so um, that's that 3-mana 4-3 that makes you discard a card and then draws two extra cards at the beginning of your next turn. I think uh, maybe an honorable mention in green is Giant Snake. That's a 5-mana 3-3 reptile that reads Summon, Shackle, all enemy creatures in this lane. That could be a card that's really good in aggro or mid-range, depending on what you're doing, because it can slow down your opponent and allow you to get beneficial trades. Um, but the last one I'm going to recommend is a staple in just about everything, and that's Leaf Lurker. Leaf Lurker is a 5-mana 4-3 that reads Summon Destroy a Wounded Creature. This is one of the most reliable destroy, point-and-click destroy effects for green. And with curses in different ways to damage your opponent's creature, Leaf Lurker is a must-have. I say, if you're going to craft something from Epic in green, Leaf Lurker might be the first three things that I craft. Or Mournhold Trader. Maybe Mournhold Trader first. Looking into control now, you're going to see some similar stuff. Two Corner Club Gamblers, which could arguably be taken out of that list. Um, three Leaf Lurkers, which absolutely have to be in that list. Um, and then I'm going to suggest two other cards. So let's, for now, say Corner Club Gamblers out. You don't want it if you're playing Control. So let's say I suggest three Leaf Lurkers. Then I'm going to suggest two copies of a card called Debilitate. This is a seven mana action that reads give all creatures minus two minus two with an empower that reads it costs one less. So you damage your opponent a couple of times and you can drop minus two minus two on all of your opponent's tokens on turn four or five or six, which makes it a really strong card to be able to drop down in price. Um, at other times, this card won't see a lot of play, but right now in this current meta, we have so many wards that are running around that this card is a really good card to have in hand if you're playing green control, although it does encourage you to ding your opponent's face. Um, okay, let's move on then and talk about the last card in green for Epic in Control, um, and that's going to be one of my favorite cards, the Murkwater Scourge. This is a 4-mana 3-1 Goblin that reads Summon and Last Gasp, put a curse in your hand. Curse is a 0-mana action that reads Give a Creature minus 1, minus 1. A really, really strong card. Murkwater Scourge. I think this is this is a reward card, so you can just craft this. It came out in March, so you might have some of these if you had reached, what, rank 15 or something or above. This is a really, really strong card. It activates Leaf Lurker on your next turn. Um, it can just get rid of some tokens. It can finish off some creatures. It's an aggressive stat line, so it can trade pretty well. 
Um, the bummer is that this thing does die pretty easily to a couple of silences and reds, and you're not going to be able to get your curses after they silence it and kill it. Um, and also Sorcerer's Negation in uh, in Sorcerer, which is blue-purple combo. But it is a really, really strong card. Murkwater Scourge, a card that I highly recommend. Okay, that's going to take us through both yellow and green. Next, we're going to be picking up and taking a look at purple. But first, I want to take a moment and talk about our sponsor, Team Rank Star. Our sponsor is Team Rank Star. Now, when I started off this podcast, I reached out to Team Rank Star just from their help and said, hey, like, what, what's going on? Do you guys want to maybe do something together? I'm, I'm going to be doing a weekly show for the Elder Scrolls Legends and uh, immediately got a response back saying that they'd like to work together. And so my partnership with Team Rank Star has been fantastic. They've been really, really supportive of the show and have been nothing but encouraging. So I would encourage you then to check them out. Um, just visit their website because if you're looking for information on the game and stuff that's coming up. You're wanting to learn and grow as a player of this game and a whole bunch of other games. You can do that over at TeamRankStar.com. And on top of that, they have this, I don't know if it's kind of like a father organization um, or or just someone who helps and sponsors them, but it's called Inked Gaming. And Inked Gaming is a, is a company that basically um, prints and creates customized gaming gear. And if you use the code TRS12 at checkout, you can get 12% off your next piece of customized gaming gear. And that Actually, I think it could be used for just about any piece of gear at Inked Gaming, and I've checked them out. Listen, guys, this isn't just stuff for video gamers. There is stuff for video gamers there, but it's also for tabletop gamers. And if you're like me um, and you're a tabletop gamer, then you know it's really cool to have that piece of custom uh, gear, that 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 thing that's just uh, unique to you when you're coming to tabletop night, whether that's playing Dungeons and Dragons or um, that's playing wargaming or maybe you're um, showing up for a board gaming evening, whatever it may be. It's nice to have that piece of customized gear um, that that just you have. So uh, definitely go out and check out Ink Gaming and check out TRS. Okay, let's go ahead and continue and begin wrapping up our look at a crafting guide um, for the cards in Legends. And we're moving on now to Purple. Um, purple is interesting because Purple has historically been uh, kind of a control color. It's kind of like if you're playing control, you're playing Purple. Um, but, you know, there, there's there been some variance with that because there's also some really strong sort of beefy um, aggro tools that you can find in Purple as well. Um, but once again, most of those things typically are going to be found in either your epic um, or in, not your epic, I'm sorry, either in your rare or your common categories. So let's go ahead and dive in looking at legendary cards that I think are really good crafts specifically in purple right now. And there's uh, really honestly not a lot that's sort of aggrocentric um, in purple in, in sort of like the aggro category. So the one card that's seeing a little bit more play recently that just came out of moves of elsewhere is the Dromothra Reaper. This is a 2-mana 3-2 Khajiit Spirit that reads Summon, Consume a Creature, and when a creature leaves your discard pile, Dromothra Reaper gets plus 0, plus 1, and you gain a health. Why is this good? Well, because it's a 2-mana 3-2 strong on its own. Um, oftentimes, 
um, in an aggro deck, you might actually have a two mana three three that's going to be boosting a little bit. Help you. The, those one or two points can be really important health wise when it comes to winning a race. And so if you get a couple of these on the board and you can consume a couple of things, I think this is one of those consume cards that is good enough on its own to be played without playing the consume mechanic um, and all the imbued cards and, and the ill fated scholars and things. Of course, this card gets exponentially better if you're playing some of those other cards, but maybe that deck isn't the best deck. But I really feel like Dramathra Reaper is one of the only good legendary cards um, in uh, in purple for aggro specifically. Now, that being said, you probably could get away with not having it because I don't know how central or super important the card is for aggro. But if you're going to look at legendaries and you're like, I'm definitely crafting legendaries and I want to play, uh, you know, purple aggro, I guess Dramatha Reaper is one of your best bets, um, and probably three of them. The other one that I'm going to suggest, and there's really only two in all of purple for aggro when it comes to legendary cards, and that's the Gatekeeper. The Gatekeeper is a 5-mana 6-6 six, six Daedra with guard that reads only one creature in this lane can attack each turn. Um, now this does come from the Isles of Madness expansion, and you're probably thinking what most people would think when they read this card, especially if you're new to the game. How is this any good? It's a 5-mana 6-6 six, six with guard. It stops things from attacking, doesn't increase them attacking. Well, the reason this card is so good in, in aggro matchups is oftentimes purple isn't the most aggressive. It's often the most beefy aggro deck, but not necessarily the most aggressive aggro deck. And so sometimes you need to just slow your opponent down when you're racing. There are some mid-range decks, for example, especially decks that run some drain, that can outrace, say, an aggro sorcerer, which is where you're going to see purple aggro sorcerer, aggro rhetoric, and maybe um, the, it'd be the most common in those two. So the gatekeeper can be thrown down in the other lane to smash face for six every round, knowing you're not going to put anything else in that lane. Let's say you want to throw something in the shadow lane because your opponent has shifted there. You want to be able to dominate that lane. Um, you can throw him down there. Let's say um, your opponent has taken field lane from you and you've shifted over to shadow lane. You can now throw the gatekeeper in the field lane to make it difficult for him to get rid of. Usually this is going to require a couple pieces to remove. It doesn't always slow your opponent down and a silence is certainly strong against it, but even if they silence it, you still have a 6-6 six, six on the board for racing. So it's an overstatted 5-drop with a net positive ability that helps you to win races. You do have to be careful when you're playing this. If you're going wide with purple, for example, like in an aggro deck, say, um, like Spell Sword, which isn't real popular, but let's say you're playing it, um, even uh, like Empire aggro, I don't think I would play it in there because you want to go wide. Like you want to fill the field lane and then stuff stuff into uh, in the shadow lane. And so you're never going to really want to put Gatekeeper down except in really express like small scenarios. So it's going to be in decks like Midrange or or, uh, or, or Midrange Rhetorin, um aggro, one of those two that isn't going to be trying to filling up both lanes. Um, and once again, you can't craft that one. You are going to have to get the, the gates um, or the Isles of Madness in order to be able to get the gatekeeper um, and if you don't have him you can probably still build some completely viable um, uh, aggro decks uh, with purple being in the mix let's move on um, to mid um, because I think that there are a couple of good <clears throat> mid cards for purple the first one is is going to be the gatekeeper again I think that's where this card shines the best once again you can't craft it but in a mid deck I think it shines really really well the next card that hasn't seen a lot of play but is seeing a little bit of returning play this was kind of like a staple in mid-range decks and that was bone colossus this is a seven mana five five that says fill this lane um, with one with one one skeletons and other friendly skeletons get plus one plus one so this card doesn't see a ton of play right now when I started playing this game bone colossus saw a lot of play 
once again, would I craft three of them? Probably not. If they ever came into the meta and they were really strong again, um, then you would want to have three of them. Um, you could maybe, you could probably substitute something out in place of this card, um, but it's, once again, there's not a lot of, I mean, the epic or the legendary cards in purple are pretty strongly geared towards control, not really geared so much towards that mid-range um, and that aggro. The other one that I, I think you could definitely play is um, the... Uh, or a Durnian Necromancer, that's probably misspelled or mispronounced, a six mana 3-3 three, three that reads summon, it's a dark elf, summon, um, then you summon a creature from your discard pile with less power than this card, the Necromancer. So if you find a way to buff this, you can pull pretty powerful stuff out, but even if not, in most mid-range cases, you're going to be able to pull a pretty valuable card out, a, a valuable summon effect or something out of your graveyard, and so this is definitely um, a card that you're going to want to craft three of, um, if you're going to run them, and probably if you're running purple, let's just face it, I just talked about aggro and mid-range, and you don't really care about about either of those. Instead, you want to know about control, because control is definitely where it's at. And in control, these necromancers are a three of hands down every time. You must have three of them. So you got to craft three of these. These are like probably the most important purple card um, to uh, to control, um, followed closely by something that is first card from this set, I think, that I'm recommending. It's from Clockwork City, and that's Galen the Shelterer. This is a three mana, three, three that reads summon. Choose a creature or item in your hand and shuffle three copies of it with plus three, plus three into your deck. This with Necromancer is incredible. Incredibly powerful because you can actually Galen the Necromancer and then you can Necromancer to Necromancer to draw something else or you can Necromancer and pull out a giant big guy with five attack um, from your graveyard which will pull you out just about anything that you want um, so Galen is a card that you're definitely going to need it's not one that you can craft but that next to a couple of other cards from Clockwork City are definitely some of the most important cards Galen is is a huge card for purple control and I think probably one of the most important cards that you can get if you want to play purple control the other card that I'm going to suggest for legendaries from Purple Control um, is, there's been maybe some honorable mentions, but I think it's Negev. Um, this is a 7-mana seven 7-7 seven, seven with guard. Um, it's a dragon that reads, your opponent can't target a Negev, Negev, uh, we're going to say it that way, um, with actions. Okay, so... Uh, that's a that's important. This is a seven mana seven seven with guard that your opponent has to trade into or has to pull a lethal into or something. It usually slows your opponent down. A lot of times um, players are ramping into this card. It's enormous, um, and I I honestly think like this is just one of the safest crafts in all of purple. The necromancer in this dragon because this necromancer is just very very strong. Or not this necromancer. This dragon is very very strong, um, and it's definitely a staple in terms of. Of purple legendaries and you could actually like this card definitely finds room in mid-range like I had said before so if you were looking for a card that can maybe go both that card could definitely find a way in the mid-range and it's a unique legendary so when you craft it you have it and, uh, and you don't need to make three of them which is definitely really good Okay, let's move on to purple epic cards, um, and uh, and there are definitely very strong purple epics whenever it comes um, to aggro decks, um, and actually some of these were more powerful. The first one is going to be Lilac Sorcerer. This is a one mana, one one Breton um, with ward that reads, when Lilac Sorcerer's ward is broken, double its power. 
Um, one mana, one ones historically aren't fantastic, but a one mana, one one with ward before most people are going to be playing silences that gets buffed. And if you could maybe buff it up um, with any number of, of different cards that you might be able to buff it up with, um, this thing could get a huge power. Um, and so it's it's a strong aggro card. I don't think it's a three of. Um, I only own one of them because I don't I don't personally like them, but they do make it into most um, purple aggro lists um, that aren't running blue. So like if you're not running blue and you're running purple aggro, um, and if you're not running orcs, which would be red blue. So this is, is sort of like it would find its room in Scout. It definitely finds its room in Redoran. I think that's probably where it's most popular. But out of the purple aggro cards, it's definitely one that you can play. I think probably far more popular than that is Siege Catapult. This is a two mana four four that reads Siege Catapult cannot attack. Um, unless uh, unless your side of the lane is full, so you need to be able to fill up your lane. So, um, for example, um, purple with something else that's going to be um, you know running cards that are going to fill the lane. So, aggro warrior, for example, uh, played a lot of this. Um, purple yellow, so spell sword, um, often would would play a lot of this as well um and so there's there's definitely a, you know purple blue sorcerer has played siege catapult before but hasn't always um i think it definitely finds place in some of the new empire decks that are pretty token based as well it's a two mana four for your opponent has to choose am i going to remove or am i going to try to count on the fact that they can't this was this was a must-have for aggro with purple at one time because it was a two mana five five that read the same thing it isn't that anymore but it's definitely a strong card still um, for uh, the third one for epics, I'm going to say Corrupted Shade. Oh yeah, Siege Catapult's a 3 of. I think Lilac Sorcerer is a 2. This last one, Corrupted Shade, is a 3 of. This is a 4 mana 5-5 five, five spirit with ward that reads at the end of your turn if Corrupted Shade doesn't have ward, sacrifice it. Um, which may seem really bad to you, but you're playing a 4 mana 5-5 five, five with ward, which is incredibly strong. And it's actually not that difficult to get ward back on your creature. And it's very difficult for your opponent to get it off because it gets sacrificed at the end of your turn. So if your opponent trades into this, they're always running the risk that you can reward it on your turn. This sees most play in Sorcerer, obviously because of the opportunity to give it more wards. For example, trading with this or having it traded into, then fifth house amulet, hitting it with fifth house amulet to make it a 6-6 six, six with ward and it now doesn't die. Um, ward crafter. Uh, it really, there's a, there's a handful of different um, things that can give this creature ward and, and usually if you can get like it into face and trade it into or trade it with a couple of times, um, it's really powerful. Oftentimes if it's only one time, corrupted shade on three Three is sometimes just breaks the game wide open. Like your opponent just can't do anything about it. Obviously, um, some shackle creatures that can shackle it and then trade into it, and some small taunt creatures are sort of the bane of this particular card. But you're always usually running this card um, in a in a deck where you can also reward it. Um, so once again, you're looking at maybe like mid range tribunal um, and definitely aggro or mid range uh, sorcerer. Okay, um, let's look at the couple of cards that I would suggest if you're going to be doing epics for mid-range in purple. Um, that's going to be Corrupted Shade once again, and I'm still going to recommend three of those. Um, just because mid-range, it's going to be a mid-range deck that sort of tends towards the aggro side of things versus a mid-range deck that's going to sort of lean heavily towards the control side of things. And I know that people say that this isn't really a term, um, but, I, you know... <laughs> 
right? The the mid the mid grow, right? That that sort of mid range aggro style of deck. I know people say that's not really a thing, but it is kind. It has meaning, so it's kind of a thing. Um, and so if you want, if you're like that sort of aggressive beatdown style of deck, and you're going to be playing it with some blue, definitely uh, finds a place there. The other thing is Shadowfen, um, Shadowfen Priest. This is a five mana four four. Yeah, five mana four four Argonian that reads summon, silence another creature or destroy an enemy support. This is purple support removal and silence. Anything that sets versatile is incredible. Um, Shadowfen Priest has been a staple for a really long time. I would adventure to say you don't need three of them, but you probably always need two of them. So Shadowfen Priest is a must-have. It's probably one of the safest things that you, you can craft um, from purple in the epics. Um, because you're you're going to see that play in a couple of different places. There's probably some other mid-range cards that I could suggest, and I'm going to actually suggest one that's not very good, but it is very mid-rangey, and that's Preserver of the Root. This is a four mana four four Argonian that gets plus two plus two in guard when you have seven or more max Magicka. Um, a four mana six six with guard is very strong, and there was a time when Preserver of the Root saw a lot more play than what it sees today. Um, I think Preserver of the Root is still a very good card. I think it will come back into play. I think it finds the home either in mid-range or in control. Um, but control has a lot more options when it comes to purple epics than mid-range does. So this wouldn't be one that I would rush out and craft. I would definitely craft a Shadow of End Priests. Um, and I would craft the Corrupted Shades over Preserver of the Root. But don't be surprised if you see Preserver of the Root start become popular again. Um, because in other metas, or maybe in a slightly more limited meta, um, Preserver of the Root is going to become a strong card when there's not quite so many powerful options. Let's move on to Control. Control is going to look kind of similar. Um, it's going to definitely want Shadow and Priests. And I'm still saying two of them. I don't know that you're going to want three of them, but two of them is is almost 100% for sure. And so once again, I think that's probably one of the absolute safest calls for crafting. The other purple card that you could con uh, that you could craft that's in Epics um, is actually one that I've never crafted, but does see a lot of play in, say, like Control Telvani um, and a lot of decks that are control decks that are fighting for the board with a lot of creatures. Um, not so much control decks like Tribunal with a lot of removal and then big boys at the end, but mostly it's decks that are going to run Conscription. Um, so you even think like uh, there are there are Rhetoran Conscription decks that would run this card. There are Empire Conscription decks. Telvanni almost always does. That's Necromancer's Amulet. This is a three mana support that reads when a friendly creature dies, gain a health. Um, and that may not seem like a big deal, but when you're fighting for the board with creatures, um, all of that health can make a big difference. And if you can get like two of these things down, um, it can really, really change everything. For you, that's Necromancer's Amulet. The last one um, that I think is really strong. This is also uh, an Isles of Madness card. This is called Dark Seducer. This is a eight mana seven seven Daedra with Drain and Guard that reads Dark Seducer drains on both turns. This is a big bomb for ramp decks. It's a really very strong card, and it puts you back in the game if you were kind of out of the game, because it brings you back a lot of life that you may have lost. So in my opinion, Dark Seducer is a really strong card, definitely something that uh, you want to have, and I'm, I'm going to suggest that you have two of them. I don't know that three of them are really going to be necessary. Um, okay, that's it. That's purple. So that's all five of the core Kellers looking at um, two to three epics and two to three legendaries um, for each uh, archetype, aggro, mid, and control. Now, what about multi-Kellered? Because multi-Kellered cards are really powerful. 
And it seems like there's a million options when it comes to multicolored cards. And to be honest with you, I'm the type of person that has basically all of them. I'm missing one, two, three multicolored cards. Um, but I think that instead of going by class, because each multicolored card on its own represents its own class, and we're not going by colors, instead I made a list of multicolored cards that I think are just worthy of crafting, and I did them by their class. So the first one that I think personally is definitely worthy of a craft is Tribunal. Um, this is Archeon, I, I'm not going to try to pronounce his name, he's a four mana 3-3 with um, summon, uh, choose a blessing from from the tribunal gods and these tribe blessings i believe are plus one plus one to all creatures um give a creature draining guard or summon a spider it's a zero one that draws you a card um, but if you exalt this for another three mana so seven mana three three it's it you get all three blessings so this means that you're going to give something guard and drain you're gonna give all your creatures plus one plus one and you're going to summon a zero one it'll become a one two and you're going to draw a card um, it's definitely really strong if you're playing tribunal it's something that you definitely need to have your hands on and i'm sorry if you can hear my um my uh uh, Discord coming through. I'm, I'm trying to make sure that that's muted. Okay, um, the other one that I think is, is definitely really strong, and if you're going to be playing it, you want to have it, that's Queen Baron Zaya in um, uh, the Assassin build. That's green-blue. It is 4 mana, 6-3 with Drain. Summon, give all other creatures in this lane guard. Um, if you're going to play Assassin in any way, Queen Baron Zaya is almost a guaranteed strong card. The next one is Monk. That's going to be a Nasi. That's a 5 mana, 5-5 um, five, five Khajiit that is yellow and green, and it Summon, a Nasi steals all keywords from enemy creatures. So you Take them all. Um, it's really strong for finishers. It's really, really strong um, to just get rid of a pesky uh, thing that you really need to get rid of. Anasi is, is a go-to card and actually absolutely um, really a, a must craft. Um, and I then continue, and um, I think that Mage is really strong as well. Um, this is a 5-mana five 5-5 five five, um, that reads a High Elf uh, Aaron, Iron. Irene. Um, summon, uh, draw a random action from your discard pile, um, and your actions cost one less. Um, definitely a staple in just about any sort of a control deck, and the Mage Legendary is 100% worth crafting. Furthermore, the Ebonheart one is worth crafting. This is Joran, the Scald King. Another 5-mana five 5-5, five five, and uh, Ebonheart is going to be in red, purple, and green, and it reads Immune to Silence, Friendly creatures cost one less. Enemy creatures cost one more. Um, this is a staple in Ebonheart. Every Ebonheart deck wants to run it, no matter really what type of deck you're playing. It's good in control. It's fantastic in mid-range. It's a powerful aggro card. If you want to be playing um, uh, the, the three colors, red, green, purple, which is pretty much my favorite combo, drawing the Scald King is definitely worth crafting. Um, let's uh, move on. I believe that the next one that's definitely worth crafting is going to be Sun and Shadow. This is Telvani, purple, green, um, and uh, purple, green, and blue. Five mana, four, six. Summon permanently shackle another friendly creature to draw an action of your choice 
from your deck. This is another tutor um, card, and we talked about those back in blue. This is an incredible card. If you're playing Telvanni, it doesn't matter what you're playing. You want Sun and Shadow. Sun and Shadow is extremely, extremely strong. And next to Jormos Gold King, my personal favorite um, from the Tri-Colored Legendaries. Um, along with that um, is the Archer Legendary. This is red and green. Um, it's a six mana. It's Alina Benok Benok. It's a wood elf, a one mana, or I'm sorry, it's a six mana, one one, which you might think isn't good. It has lethal and then summon deal one damage. So this is just a one shot ping with lethal that destroys a creature on the board. Um, it stays on the board as a one one with lethal. It's a very strong card. And if you're going to be playing any sort of a control variant of Archer or any of its variations, um, that card is definitely one that you want. Um, the next one that I'm going to suggest is in the Sorcerer category. This is a High King Emmerich. This is a 6 mana 5-5 five, five with Ward in purple and blue. And it reads Summon, deal 2 damage to uh, deal two damage for each friendly creature with a Ward. Um, so if you have another creature on the board with Ward, this is going to deal 4 damage. If you just summon High King Emmerich, it's a 6 mana 5-5 five, five with Ward that deals 2. And that can go directly to your opponent's face if you want it to. Um, High King Emmerich is a really strong card, both in control, mid-range, and an aggro. Um, also a really strong card and definitely one of my favorites. The last one that I'm going to suggest you definitely craft, and then I'm going to go over the ones that I skipped, and I'll go over why I skipped them really quick, is Red Brahmin. Um, Red Brahmin is the scout legendary that's going to be in purple and in green. It's 9 mana, 5-5, five, five, um, that reads summon, silence, and silence and check all enemy creatures in this lane. Pretty much if you're playing green-purple combo, you're probably playing in some way um, some sort of a control deck, and uh, Red Brahmin is just an absolute staple. So those are the cards from the legendaries that I think are completely safe crafts at this point. There's lots of other legendaries that I that I skipped. Rhetoran Legendary I skipped. Crusader Legendary I skipped. Um, that's Bolvin Venom, Tear, um, Duke Vedendren, um, which is the Halalu Legendary um, that I skipped. Um, Kamara, um, that's the new um, Khajiit legendary that buffs scout that, that's a scout card um there is the knight and mage combo which is the dual colored card um there is the empire uh the spell sword the warrior legendary um you have the battle mage legendary the dominion legendary um you have the um daggerfall legendary the the new um spell sword legendary the Guildsworn Legendary and the Dagoth Legendary. I skipped over all of them. I have many of them, and I would play most of them. But in terms of like must-crafts for the deck that they're going to be in, um, I'm going to stick to the ones that I suggested. Now, I'm also going to look at some of the epics that are in um, the multicolored because there are some really, really strong epics in multicolor as well. And these epics that you're going to want, and, and keep in mind, you're not just going to go craft these. These are going to be like, if you're going to play the color combination in the deck that makes sense with these, you're going to make sure you're going to want to get them because they're probably some of the most powerful cards you're going to have in that deck. The first one is Rift Thane. This is a two mana um, red yellow Nord um, two two that says summon. If you have less health than your opponent, I get it gets plus two plus zero plus two in guard, so it becomes a two four with guard. Otherwise, um, you have plus two plus zero in breakthrough. So if you're tied with your opponent um, or you have more health than your opponent, it's going to be a four two with breakthrough. Uh, staple in any um, red yellow Crusader or some variant of Crusader that's going to be aggressive. 
Um, Apprentice Necromancer. This is another reward card. And actually, many of these cards are reward cards. It's a 3-mana 3-3 that reads Summon. Um, summon a 1-cost creature from your discard pile. Um, any spell sortie deck that's going to be running tokens, we're talking, I think that this finds its biggest home probably in Empire right now. Um, but Apprentice Necromancer is a very, very strong card in any sort of a token deck. Blackhand Messenger. This is a staple control card and mid-range card and is even finding its way somehow miraculously into a few aggro decks. Blackhand Messenger's Assassin. That's going to be blue-purple. Three mana, zero, two with Drain that reads Summon. Deal two damage to a creature. And last gasp, deal two damage to your opponent. This is a really strong card for just controlling the board towards the beginning of the game. Telvani always runs this card. Dominion typically runs this card. Even some Assassin builds will run Blackhand Messenger. Messenger, even some aggressive assassin builds have been known to run Black Hand Messenger to help them run, uh, to help them win um, some some exchanges. So I think Black Hand Messenger is a must craft. So it's Riftane, Apprentice Necromancer, Black Hand Messenger, Edict of Azura, the best single target removal in the game by a significant margin. This is in Spell Sword, yellow purple, arguably the weakest class, but when you combine it with blue and you get Tribunal, or you combine it with green um, and you uh, and you get Empire, this becomes the best control card in the game, in my opinion. It's a four mana um, green uh, purple and yellow uh, action that reads destroy an enemy creature or support. That makes this thing support removal. Um, really, really strong um, and and creature, just a hardcore creature removal at four mana a turn before you're going to get most other hard removal out. Edict of Azor is probably one of the best cards in the game, in my opinion. Um, along with that, let's go to the Emperor's Blade. This is another spell sword. So you would think spell sword to be strong, but usually when combined with something else. I think this card finds its home in Redoran the best. It's a 4-mana four 4-5 four, with guard that reads Slay. You gain 3 health. Once again, it's a 4-mana four 4-5 four, with guard. It's very strong. It's comparable to a Hive Defender with a little bit more trading power and a net up ability. If you do get to trade with it, you just get that 3 life. It's very, very strong in mid-range decks and I think finds a really great home in most Redoran lists. Um, okay, let's continue on here. Um, I have Thornhist Mage down next, if that is one of the next ones. It isn't, but let's just talk about it real quick. This is a scout card. This is green-purple. This is definitely probably the... It's been nerfed at least once, maybe twice, because it's so powerful. Five mana, two, four with guard. So it's a good defensive tool. It reads summon, gain plus one max magicka. As we know, that's good. And um, it gains plus one, plus zero when your magicka increases. So this isn't a five mana, two, four. This is a five mana, three, four with guard, because it always gets that plus one. And it's going to boost your magicka. One of the strongest control cards in the game. It used to be cheaper and more powerful. Um, and it was absolutely broken when it was like that. Um, another four drop going back is in Battle Mage. And um, this is Sentinel Battle Mace. It's uh, red and blue, four mana. It just gives a creature ward and plus four plus zero. This card hasn't always seen play. And in silence heavy and removal heavy metas, it doesn't see a ton. But in the meta that we're in right now, it's very, very strong. Especially when it comes to buffing up an otherwise weak creature. And then being able to get off something like um, the really strong summoning card that puts a Lava Atronaut into play. Sentinel Battle Mace is very... Very, very strong, especially if you want to be putting wards on stuff. Um, that being said, 
Everything I'm suggesting inside of uh, epics uh, for multicolored, I'm saying craft three of, except Sentinel Battle Mace. I think Sentinel Battle Mace is very strong, but I think it's a two of craft. Rarely will you ever see a deck running three, and most of the time you can get away with one. Which brings us to probably, arguably, the most powerful card in all of Multicolor, which is Hand of Dagoth. Dagoth is going to be running in red, blue, um, green, so you're only going to be able to run it in that one specific class. This is a 5-mana, five 5-4 five, Ash creature that with Breakthrough, Drain, and Ward. And let me tell you, a 5-mana, five 5-4 five, Breakthrough, Drain, and Ward is very difficult to get rid of. This is an incredibly, incredibly, Incredibly strong card, and if you're going to be playing Dagoth, Hand of Dagoth has to be your first three crafts. And very similar to that being the one your first in your first three crafts, if you're going to be playing Warrior, well, some of your first crafts are going to be Sower of Revenge. This was a reward card from way back in March of 2017. It's a five mana five five Warrior card in red and purple. It's a Daedra that has guard and reads some uh, last gasp. Sorry, not summon last gasp deals five damage to your opponent. An incredible aggressive card. This is usually the top end of every aggro warrior list. This finds its home in Redoran. Um, this probably finds its home in some aggressive Ebonheart lists if there is such a thing. Um, it is a very, very strong card and also probably one of my personal favorites. And guess what? It's going to get even more powerful with the Jaws of Oblivion being the next expansion that's coming out in a really short time. Okay, that's all my recommendations actually for epics. There's probably some in there that you could argue about are really strong, but in terms of like must crafts, I think that's really about it. Once again, there are some things that could find play otherwhere, other places, and I, I do want to say that actually the, the monthly reward card that's coming out in just a couple of weeks, the Prankster Mage, is also a very strong card. I think. It's an assassin card, so it's blue and green. It's a 5-mana five 5-3 five, that reads Ward. While Prankster Mage has Ward, it has Guard, so at first it's a 5-mana five 5-3 five, with Ward and Guard, which is very strong. And when Prankster Mage's Ward is broken, he gains Cover. So every time you break his Ward, he gains Cover. And originally I thought this read that when he doesn't have Ward, he has Cover. And when he has Ward, he has Guard. That isn't what it reads. So just so you know, it's going to get Ward after get cover after it breaks ward but then if you get rid of cover the next round which it would get rid of um it's gonna if you attack with it it's it's gonna lose cover so it's just gonna be a five mana five three until you give it ward again in which case it'll get guard and then once the ward's broken it'll go back into cover um a really really cool card and i personally am very excited to experiment with it Woo! That was a lot of stuff. Um, a lot of cards. So let's talk real quick. And lastly, about neutral cards. Um, neutral cards are those colorless cards that you can use in any set. And there really isn't a ton of really great ones. Um, I instead just pulled up the stuff that I think is good in, in both Epic and Legendary because there's not a ton of really great cards. So let's look at aggro first because I think maybe that's the one that people will wonder about. And I'm going to make two suggestions. Mudcrab Merchant is almost a guarantee. This is a one mana one two that gives you the choice of two cards. You choose one and keep it. The other one goes to your opponent's hand. Um, this is really good in token decks. It's good uh, just to continue to create resources. And if you're playing, you know, Rusty Crab's Locker Underwater 
shackle, uh, whatever it is. The thing that summons a bunch of crabs that everyone's playing and that I passionately hate. That card. Um, if you're playing that, you need mud crab merchants to flesh that thing out. Mud crab merchants are great epic to have your hands on. The other one I'm going to say is Ill-Fated Scholar. This is a legendary 3-mana three 3-2 three that reads, when Ill-Fated Scholar is consumed, summon a 3-2 Insidious Spirit. Um, this is the best Consume card, so if you're playing Consume, you have to have Ill-Fated Scholars. I'm sorry to say it. Consume's an expensive mechanic to play, and if you want to play it really well, you got to play it with Ill-Fated Scholars. I do think it's a really cool card, and I love sort of the flavor of it, um, but I don't know that Consume is powerful enough right now to warrant crafting three more Legendaries from Neutral. If you really like Consume and you have the gems, craft it. If not, I would avoid maybe playing a full-on Consume deck. You can still play some Fringe Consume cards, and they're very strong, but if you're going to play like full-on Consume, you're going to need those um, ill-fated scholars. Um, another card that's very, very strong, and I think it's strongest in mid-range, but arguably it's very good potentially in control as well, is Wilds Incarnate. This is another Frostbark card, um, so you can't get this through crafting. You're going to have to buy the Frostbark section. Um, it is a 7-mana 5-6 beast. It looks like a giant moose. That's why people, if you see people refer to moose, this is the moose. Uh, it's a 5-6 with guard that says summon, draw a card if you have four runes. And draw an additional card if you have five runes. So oftentimes in a mid-range deck, if they were able to protect the board, this is a seven mana, five, six, draw two cards. So once controls targeting your stuff and running you out of the game, this is a seven mana, five, six, draw two cards. Sometime when you're playing aggro and you have your buddy on the back foot and you have one or two of these wild incarnates in your deck, it can refill your hand. If you're playing control, if you've been able to defend the board well, but you're running out of resources against another control deck and they've been resisting breaking runes because they don't want to give you more cards, well, guess what? You can make them pay for that decision by drawing two cards off of this Wild Incarnate because they were afraid to break your runes. Um, I think it's a really cool card and definitely my favorite from, well, I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's close to my favorite from the Frostbark set. Uh, that's Wild Incarnate. Once again, can't craft that one. Probably the place where you're going to find the most home is going to be um, inside of the epics um, and also the the legendaries um, for, actually, maybe, is that a rare? No, okay. Yeah, it's epics and legendaries in neutral for control. So the two epics are actions. One's Ulfric's Uprising. This is a seven mana card that reach trigger the summon of each uh, friendly creature. There's a couple cards that have really, a couple decks that's really exploited this. If you're looking to play really heavy combo decks, Ulfric's Uprising is a card that you're going to need. I don't think it's a must craft by any sense, but it's strong. Um, Talius's Conscription is very strong as well, and this is a staple in a lot of very powerful decks. Um, and so it's a 12 mana card that reads summon one of each creature from your deck that costs two or less. So when we talk about Telvanic Conscription, Empire Conscription, Dominion Conscription, Rhetoran Conscription, um, a lot of decks exploit buffing creatures in your deck or just putting powerful draw effects and creatures in your deck that cost one or two mana, almost all two mana, and then playing a Talia's Conscription at the top end. So you control the board and then you overwhelm your opponent with Talia's Conscription. And if you can't do it with the first one, you almost can always do it with the second one. So I highly recommend Talia's Conscription if you have 
uh, a desire to play control. In Legendary, I'm going to make um, two suggestions as well, and they're both dragons, two of the coolest dragons. Um, Parthenex is probably the one that's less viable. It's a 12-mana 9-9 dragon that reads Summon, put three random shouts into your hand, and reduce their cost to zero. This is a lot more powerful until the neutral sh uh, shout was printed, and it has made the deck a heck of a lot worse. Um, but it's still a really strong card, and if you're playing a deck that's running, say, uh, Soul Tears or um, Soul Tear, uh, then Parthenax is a card that probably goes in that control deck. Um, I like Parthenax a lot, and I've played a lot with him. He's not the best uh, legendary card um, uh, in the neutral set for control, but he's good, because the best legendary one is Odoving, and he's incredible, and you should get him. He's the first legendary I opened in a pack, too, which I'm proud to talk about. It's a 12-mana 10-10 dragon that reads Summon, deal 4 damage to all enemy creatures. This doesn't even damage your own board, just deal 4 damage to all enemy creatures. If you're gonna craft a legendary in the neutral set, Odoving is the legendary that you're gonna craft. Probably one of the most powerful cards in the game. It's one of the most powerful control tools. Really love Odoving and definitely a card that basically gets slotted into every control deck ever. If you like control, you're going to like Odoving. Wow. Okay. Well, this has been a pretty long episode uh, for a 0.5 episode, but that's my crafting guide. Now you've seen it. If you want to go back uh, a couple episodes ago, I think episode 15, you can catch red and blue. This episode has yellow, green, purple, multicolored, and the neutral cards. That's epics and legendaries for mid-range control and aggro decks, the top three in each color or each category for each archetype. Um, I hope this has been helpful to you. It's been helpful for me to go through the list and see what of those cards I was actually missing and I still needed to craft but just hadn't pulled the trigger on. I hope that you'll find it useful and you can go back and refer to it whenever you're needing to know what the next card to craft. I know when I was a beginning player, one of the things that I wanted to know is what should I be crafting and what should I be working towards and that wasn't always easy information to find. Um, but I did find it and, uh, and now that I've been playing for uh, well over a year or two, um, I have a little bit more information, and um, I was able to pass it on to you. Um, so I hope that you found that valuable. Um, that's going to do it for this episode. As always, um, my heart is to, to pray for and to support the community at large. And so if there's anything I can do for you, um, I would love to be able to do it. And so you can email me at eslegendscast at gmail.com, or you can join our Discord. And uh, hopefully you can find that link either on Reddit or look up Legends Cast Discord. You should be able to find it pretty easily. Um, our Discord's incredibly active. In fact, I look in the last 30 days, there's been almost 4,000 messages sent over our Discord in the last 30 days, and that's from a relatively small group of people. We have a lot of content creators and gamers and competitive players who are in there, um, so I would encourage you, join our Discord. Make sure you check it out. Um, Beefquake is the guy who manages that. Now we got a new guy managing it named Jethron, um, and that's super awesome. A couple of great computer wizards who are doing the background work, and I'm not even doing it. They've just taken it and run with it. It's really cool because it's this really great group of people who've really built a community. It's not about building an empire for, for me and the show. It's about us coming together and creating something together. And it's kind of cool because it's like this whole group of people who've pitched in. Instead of one person creating entertainment for other people to consume, it's been a group of people coming together as a community for the betterment of the game to add something of value to it. And we're doing it as a team. 
people coming up with ideas um, and they're just running with it. And, and there's been some really great things. So, you know, if you have a heart to run tournaments um, for uh, for Tesla, like let us know, come and join our Discord because or if you have a, a heart to desire to do something else um, for Tesla, um, join up with us, let us know. We'd love to get plugged in. And of course, if you find value in what we're doing, um, consider giving value back. Go to patreon.com and look up Legends Cast. Um, we do have several patrons and actually we have some new ones. Um, I just want to take a real quick moment and mention, I'm just going to go ahead, maybe I can mention all of our patrons. I don't know, it's 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 hard to see them all. Okay, we have Lord Lord Remen, um, Benjamin Wyatt, uh, Kami, Sh I'm not going to pronounce the last name, Jonathan Schiebel, um, Sam Hemich, which is Beefquake, The Stricken Nine, Knight, uh, Night Owl, Night Owl Six, and Big Salty. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show and and helping us make Legends Cast possible. If you want to encourage us and give back, um, uh, because you're seeing value in, in what we're doing, then consider going over there and give us a twenty five cents an episode. We give out usually four episodes a month, so if you gave us twenty five cents an episode, it'd be a, a dollar a month. Um, if you want to give us the amount, you know, give up one nice cup of coffee a month and put it towards the show. That's five bucks a month. Um, it's pretty inexpensive and it goes a really long way in supporting me and Dead Broke Nerd to make the show happen, especially because now we're sort of splitting things and going both ways. So that's going to end this episode. Thank you so much um, for tuning in and be sure to tune in um, this upcoming Friday um, because we're going to be releasing a new episode this Friday in which uh, Legends Cast is doing a card reveal of a new card that looks a lot like a wraith. Um, I'm really excited for that and you want to make sure you catch that episode for our card reveal and the artwork will go out on Reddit later that day. Thank you so much for tuning in and we'll catch you back next time. Thanks for listening to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of Elder Scrolls Legends. If you want to support Legends Cast, you can always leave us a rating and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts or you can visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash legendscast. Be sure to come back next week and make sure that you check out our sponsor, both Inked Gaming and Team Rankstar at teamrankstar.com.